0: Hi, and welcome to today's Sunday Sipper. Today, Lindsay and I wanted to chat with you a little bit about where the IUD came from. It's an interesting story, one that I doubt you would have guessed unless you've already heard it. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Welcome to Vino and Vaginas, the podcast your host, Kathy Dion, and I'm here to bring you interviews from the absolute best and brightest in their fields, all about issues related to being a woman, from health and fitness to sex and dating and everything in between. My mission at Pino and Vaginas is to explore these topics, health, sexuality, and everything related to being a woman in a fun and safe environment free of shame, <laughs> embarrassment, or stigma. It's going to be an amazing time. Now, let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to chat about the IUD and the quite interesting history that comes with it. <laughs> now, the IUD is a super popular form of birth control today, and it's actually a pretty great method, but does it, I don't know if everybody knows exactly what an IUD is. So, Lindsay, what is it?
1: The IUD is a T-shaped piece of plastic, a little bigger than a quarter, that fits inside your uterus and prevents pregnancy by stopping firm, sperm from reaching and fertilizing the eggs. There are actually two types. One is hormonal, like the Marina, which is the most common one. And that releases a small amount of the hormone progesterone into your body, the same hormone used in many birth control pills. These ones tend to make your period lighter or even non-existent. Um, and then there is another version that is made of copper and it's hormone-free, but the copper triggers your immune system to prevent pregnancy and was initially thought to be a spermicide. And if you use the IUD correctly, your chance of getting pregnant is less than
0: 1%. That is a pretty low chance. So obviously, it's a pretty effective form of uh, birth control, right? Now, yeah, I think like those odds. I think most people know kind of how it's inserted, but maybe not entirely the process. Can you tell us about it?
1: Uh, yeah, I can tell you anecdotally about it as well, if anyone's interested.
0: <laughs> Please do. Uh,
1: <laughs> so it is inserted um, at a gynecological type exam. So you've got your feet in the stirrups, there's a speculum to hold your vagina open. Um, and then the doctor puts the IUD in a small tube that they insert into the vagina and out to the cervix. And they'll move that up through the cervix into the uterus and then sort of push the IUD out of the tube. And when it comes out of the tube is when it pops into the T shape. And then there are strings attached to the bottom that will hang just outside or below the cervix for being able to remove it.
0: Yeah, and actually, so Lynz, do you know Dr. Jen Gunter? She's the one that wrote the vagina bible. She Oh yeah. Yeah. She, if you guys don't follow this woman already, you should, she's a Canadian, she's a physician from Canada, but she actually works in the States now. Um, and she is just amazing. And when it comes to anything, women's health and I actually reposted, this was a while back, but I'll do it again. I'll repost it. An awesome little video that Dr. Gunter has of exactly how you insert the IUD. And so she shows you, and you can actually see this long tube um, and she'll show you how that gets inserted into the vagina and then essentially she puts she always uses the word deploys like I'm deploying the IUD so essentially she pushes this button and the IUD deploys and it pops (laughs) open and that's essentially what happens when it goes into your uterus so it's really cool to both see because then you know what to expect if you don't have one but it's also kind of cool to see what happened to you if you do have one (laughs) yeah
1: yeah it was actually a kind of an interesting experience getting one myself because they measure your cervix height or like the depth to your cervix before they put it in so that they know, you know, what tube to use and how, um, how far along to put the deployment device. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, there's not a lot of times in your life you get to find out just how far your cervix is. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they do a measurement and so it doesn't go too far or too, you know, not far enough. And the process is very quick, but there is a little bit of discomfort and pressure with the the deployment part.
0: The deployment, a little cramping too, right? A little cramping.
1: Little cramping, but um, I mean, of course, everybody is different, but I'm a huge baby with cramps and it's very tolerable. Um, So yeah, it's nothing major. It's really truthfully nothing more than just your average pap test where they're taking some biopsy kind of stuff. Uh, So if you've ever had that done, you're more than prepared.
0: It's true. And it's such a good option. I know not all family physicians do it. My particular family physician doesn't, but then there's another um, physician in our office who does. So that's just kind of who I would see or anyone would see. So a lot of times you don't actually need a gynecological uh, referral, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, So Back to the history of this thing, though, Um, we thought it'd be kind of cool to research where this came from. And we've heard stories before and and some funny anecdotes, that's for sure. Um, So when we kind of got into looking up the history of the IOD, it turns out the story goes way far back. And believe it or not, it involves camels. right? (laughs) So essentially, we're talking about nomadic traders way back when, and these traders really relied on camels for their livelihood. So they used them as transport, they were their vehicles to get around, uh, but they also bred them later for future trading. So camels were a big deal to these traders. But the problem was, if a female camel got pregnant, she had a really long gestational period. It was about 13 to 14 months. And essentially, that pregnancy time put that camel or that vehicle out of commission so obviously not ideal for these poor traders so what the story says or what kind of the if you google this what the history books say is that these traders would actually put stones into the camel's uterus in order to block pregnancy
1: You really have to wonder, like, what on earth made them think of this idea?
0: (laughs) Right? Like, was it an experiment? Was it just, like, a happy accident? Like, what happened? Yeah, and if
1: it was a happy accident, I don't want to know anything more about that
0: story. (laughs) It's true. Can we just end it right there? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was said that, like, way back when in 400 BC that Hippocrates actually wrote, um, about this idea of cervical and uterine manipulation so he actually suggested in his musings or his writings back then that small objects in the human uterus could prevent pregnancy so hopefully they maybe saw these writings and that is what you know prompted this uh happy accident or this experiment of, of, of something, but we don't really know for sure, truthfully. All we know is that these nomadic traders did not want to leave pregnancy to chance. Interesting, eh? Very, I mean, I guess
1: he wasn't wrong just very ahead of his time I suppose
0: I suppose (laughs) but also can we just like hold on for one second and talk about (laughs) like like how how, can you imagine actually trying to insert some stones into a camel's uterus like how 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 I mean I've worked on a dairy farm I could probably tell you how if you really want (laughs) to
1: know I think it involves the whole length
0: of your arm (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how big the stones would be, though.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine any part of that was comfortable for anyone involved.
0: <laughs> the poor camel. The poor camel is all I have to say. And I can't imagine they didn't feel that, you know, throughout their trek. No. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that's the story of how it started. But then there's been a few evolutions since then. Thank God. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. So back uh, in the 19th century, this, you know, the the camel story evolved and we're no longer using stones, but physicians started using what's called a stem pessary. So essentially it's a curved disc that fits in the vagina and it had a stem that would actually pass through the cervix to hold it into place. This thing was often made of, you know, gold, believe it or not. It was finely crafted. Fancy. Very fancy, but not the most um, let's say healthy way to insert something into our body. It was very inflexible materials. At that time in the world, we didn't really have antibiotics, we didn't really have sterile sterile technique at all. So the truth is there was a lot of injury, there was a lot of infection, and it didn't go so well.
1: Yeah, understandable. (laughs) Gold rings are more for your fingers, not your
0: vagina. That's, we should uh, like quote that somewhere.
1: <laughs> it's very philosophical.
0: Could it be like a diamond, um, what are they called, advertisement, you know, <laughs> for your engagement <laughs> ring? <laughs> something else is meant for your vagina.
1: <laughs> I feel like we're on to something here with a very successful marketing campaign. If
0: anyone's listening to us, contact us. We have more ideas.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there's a reason we're in healthcare not marketing (laughs) so by the 1930s thankfully we had replaced even these pessaries with devices that fit entirely into the uterus and they started with a silver ring that was wrapped in silkworm guts and this fun fact led Cassie and I to a very deep rabbit hole on what exactly a
0: silkworm is Um, (laughs) yeah tell us because like I had no idea you guys I know,
1: so it turns out that a silkworm is like the caterpillar or the larva for a silk moth, which is the biggest producer of actual silk. Um, So the thought there was that it was a durable, healthy sort of organic material that wouldn't degrade when it was put into the body. Uh, But then after that, after World War II, plastics have emerged at this point, and that new material is considered a big step forward in terms of safety, but wasn't necessarily the best birth control. Uh, So by 1969, Chilean doctor Jamie Zipper had discovered the magic of copper. They knew previously that copper was good at preventing plant diseases, but he discovered it could also disable
0: sperm. So enter a plastic
1: IUD wrapped in copper. And this boosted the efficacy of IUDs to the 99% that we accept today.
0: Crazy. It's so cool to go over kind of that history and know kind of what evolution happened and, and maybe what led to what, but the, the next kind of piece of this IUD story is they weren't actually all that popular in the 70s and even the 80s. And the reason is, at least in the US, the design of that copper IUD had little feet protruding on the sides. And that was to keep it from essentially being expelled from the uterus, right? To keep it into place. And though great in concept, it wasn't the greatest in general because those feet sometimes dug in and stuck. And so what they did is they actually created a string for removal. So they used a super strong multi-filament string, which was added, but the material they chose essentially turned out to be a highway for germs. And really, unfortunately, most people were okay, which is not the unfortunate part, of course, but (laughs) some weren't, and some suffered some serious pelvic infections, some suffered infertility, and there was even a handful that died. And so this super traumatized the world of, you know, users of the IUD, the medical world, physicians. And so for a while, the IUD totally disappeared, at least from the U.S. market. And it wasn't until it really emerged as a viable option in the European market did it come back to the States and to Canada. Mm. But good news, guys, good news is the string that we use now is not like that. It is not a highway to germs and there's really not that risk. So we've come a long way and we don't have to worry about that. Thankfully thankfully indeed. But anyway, so as Lynn's kind of mentioned at the beginning, we still use that copper IUD today and some people prefer it because they don't want the hormones. Uh, it lasts like, like an incredibly long time. And the cool part is too, essentially, as soon as you take it out, your fertility essentially re- like returns to normal as soon as it's gone. So it's pretty cool. And then those heart hormonal guys, like the Mirena, they, like Lynn says, kind of release that microdose of progestin to help control a lot more than just you know, baby making. So it's pretty cool.
1: Exactly. The Marina from a lot of what I read is often prescribed for people who have really, um, say really symptomatic menstrual cycles. So a lot of bleeding, a lot of cramping because that little bit of local, um, progesterone can decrease a lot of that and make those symptoms a lot more tolerable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, some something... women they actually don't get their period at all, they might get some light spotting. Um, but typically, the hormonal one can actually
0: stop your monthly cycle. Yeah, and I do think it's the most widely used one. Um, but they're both good options if people are looking, you know, for birth control options. Yeah. So obviously Linz and I are not complete experts when it comes to birth control. So if anyone has questions, please contact your medical professional, but I just think it's cool to go over this crazy history and really see where, like where this 99% effective birth control came from. And I can tell you, I didn't think it was from camels.
1: (laughs) No, definitely wouldn't have been my first guess. And I'm glad we have evolved a very long way from using stones.
0: I I agree. Yep. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's keep the stones away from our vagina. Okay. <laughs> I'm
1: very thankful for all the camel sacrifices that were made in the process of developing this.
0: <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm the glad crazy. We need to win. Right. I'm glad you didn't have an anecdotal story about your stones. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. That would have been a very different podcast if uh, if you did. <laughs> <laughs> Or at least a topic, a different topic, maybe. Yeah, we'd need a much longer episode for that story. I think so. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed learning about where the heck the IUD came from. And hopefully, again, like last time, hopefully we gave you a piece of trivia that might benefit you sometime. I don't know, all those trivia nights, you never know if they're going to ask this question. (laughs) It's true. Stay tuned to next time and we will see you soon. Bye. Bye.